Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your active, powerful, redeeming and remaking and transforming love. Pour it out on us now as we hear from your holy word. And let us hear the words of Jesus, especially afresh and anew tonight. Through his name we pray. Amen. Welcome on this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the service, and I, I want to mention it now. Let's welcome Kirtley Knight. Kirtley is going to be our deacon for the, this next season. Kirtley was recently ordained uh, to the diaconate in the Anglican Church in North America, and he needs a place to get some sick deacon reps. And so St. Bart's was chosen as very appropriate to get some sick deacon reps. So you, many of you already know Kirtley and Iva, so get to know Kirtley. He's a wonderful man, and we're, so, we're as much blessed by him being here with us as he will be blessed, as he says, to be with us. Uh, so we're grateful for him. Um, so many things to say tonight. We're going to talk mostly about the Beatitudes. <clears throat> and specifically, I want to build on one of the many wise nuggets that Chris laid aptly uh, at our feet last week when he said, Jesus sees us, he seeks us, and he invites us to repentance. And Chris very well said, repentance isn't simply behavior modification or behavior change. Repentance, he said, is surrendering to the one who can remake us. Now, just chew on that for a minute. Repentance is surrendering to the one who can remake us. And we think of the context in which he preached it, where Jesus was calling disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Andrew and Peter, the sons of John or Jonah. And he says, come, I'm going to, re I'm going to remake you. You're fishermen, but I'm going to remake you into fishers of men. And for us today, we want to think of repentance as not behavioral change. Because let's all be honest with each other. We don't need another list of things to do. Another opportunity to take God's commands that make wise the simple and turn them into a new legalism. We've seen that done time and again. We know how the movie ends. Rocky always wins the fight, etc., etc. So we want to remember that repentance is surrendering to the one who can remake us. 
And now you may have heard this phrase, the kingdom of heavens, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus in Matthew's gospels is going to be talking constantly about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Last week he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. Today we hear, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The first beatitude and the last one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? I asked our vestry this last week at our monthly meeting. I said, what do you guys think is the kingdom of heaven? And we had various and sundry responses. But one response that we could all identify with was, it's something that's not yet. It's something that like is coming and that's eschatological. So related to the end times. It's something that maybe you've, you saw the Left Behind books that were such a hit in the 90s. Maybe you had the privilege of being uh, born in the, the decade of the 80s and therefore were forced to read the Left Behind books or maybe you watch the Kirk Cameron film. And so we think of the kingdom of heaven maybe as like people randomly disappear and there's piles of clothes everywhere. And that means the kingdom of heaven has started somehow. So I just want to say the kingdom of heaven is eschatological, but perhaps not strictly in that very myopic sense of what one culture has conceived of the kingdom of heaven. So that's what it's not. But what it is The kingdom of heaven is the place of God's dominion. The place where God exercises his rule and reign. The place where when God says he wants something to be so, it is so. And tonight, as I speak to you about the kingdom of heaven, as I speak to you about the Beatitudes and these sometimes uh, consternating words of Jesus, I'm going to be speaking a lot from a book called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. I brought it in here as show and tell because I want you all to see it. Do you see it? Mm. This is the front of the book. This is the back of the book. My kids have that song they sing. But it's a wonderful book because he interprets not just the Beatitudes, but really the whole Sermon on the Mount in order to answer the question, who is well off? Truly well off. What does life from above, this Zoe life, what does that really look like when lived out in God's people? And what is the kingdom of heaven? And Willard is quick to tell us in agreement with the history of the church that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. It's all around us. We can't see it. In fact, we need to remember that St. Paul said that there are spiritual forces all around us in the heavenly places. That word heavenly being from the Greek word uranos, which simply is air. It's just in the air around us. So when you think of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it's, it's, think of it in its immediacy, in the fact that it's right here, right now. And now let's look at what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of heaven, about what it means to be truly well off and to be blessed. Now, Think about the Beatitudes. They're so hard to preach on, confession time. It's very difficult to preach about them because there have been such specific interpretations of them. And honestly, oftentimes the interpretations are twofold. One, that Jesus is giving us a new meritocracy. If you want to be blessed, if you want to be in, if you want to be 
on the up and up, as Willard says, after the revolution, then you have to be these things, poor in spirit, hunger and thirsty for righteousness. So in other words, giving us a list of behaviors that we need to modify and adapt ourselves to. A new meritocracy, a new way to earn entrance into the kingdom of heaven. So that's been one interpretation. Another interpretation, which is more current and much more resonant with, I'm just going to use left behind as that moniker of that idea of the kingdom of God. Another interpretation is that because these things are so impossible to attain, or because they're so incongruent, so think of it, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit meaning someone who's completely destitute of any sort of spiritual virtue. It doesn't make sense that that person would then have the kingdom of heaven if that person has no desire for the kingdom of heaven. So uh, commentators and scholars of a particular bent in the 19th and 20th centuries have said, well, this must mean that theirs is the kingdom of heaven not now, but when? After all the piles of clothes appear and, and, and after the rapture and all of these things happen, then theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But, but again, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my cue from Willard here. That's also not what Jesus is saying. Think of it this way. Think of Psalm 23. Psalm 23, we read it. And what do you gain from it usually when you read it? Comfort. I mean, because how often can we identify, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You've laid a table, set a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup is running over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And when we read that, we don't think, oh, isn't that going to be great? One day. For now, life will suck and I'll hate it. But one day, oh, it's going to be like that. No, we think of it as now. We may not be able to connect all the dots. We may not feel that now, but that's our prayer now. Lord, anoint my head with oil. Comfort me with your rod and your staff, with your discipline. Send me to the green pastures. Lead me to quiet waters now. Please, oh God. And so it makes sense then for the words of Jesus to be applied to us now. And so Willard, being our guide again today through his book, The Divine Conspiracy, tells us that the Beatitudes not necessarily a new list new list of merits, a new way to be legalistic, a new way to be Pharisees, just under a different rabbi, Jesus. And they're not also this weird, uh, aberrant, eschatological interpretation that, well, one day they'll be true. He says this of the Beatitudes, and I'm going to read his summary. So it's a little long. So, you know, just take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out. Okay, here we go. Willard says this, the Beatitudes serve to clarify Jesus' fundamental message. In other words, they're a way for Jesus to to support what he's always been saying and what he will be saying, and he still says to us today. And his fundamental message is this, the free availability of God's rule and righteousness, remember, the kingdom, 
the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through reliance upon himself, Jesus. What did we say repentance was? Surrender. That's another way to say reliance upon Jesus. Surrender to the one, not just to anybody, not to mammon, not to whatever God America is obsessed with that day in the Twitterverse, but it is this, surrender to Jesus, the one who can remake us, the one who loves us as we are, and there is an and, and can transform us. Moreover, Willard says, don't you love that I'm doing this? They do this, the Beatitudes do this, by taking those who, from a human point of view, are regarded as most hopeless, most beyond all possibility of God's blessing or even interest, and exhibiting them as enjoying God's touch and abundant provisions from the heavens. Did you follow that? So the Beatitudes are going to take the people who, in that current culture, for the Jews, would be considered the least likely to gain entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Think of the last, the least, okay? And Jesus takes them and uses them an example to say, because I bring the kingdom of heaven to all, I bring it to these, the poor in spirit. Sometimes you feel little affection for God and his kingdom. How do, you, how do I know that? Because I sometimes feel that. Sometimes you don't want to have anything to do with prayer or with reading Holy Scripture or coming to his holy table or being sent out on mission because you're human. You're a sinner. I'm human. I'm a sinner. And what? Because we're poor in spirit. Precisely because we are who we are, we are blessed. Because Jesus has come to us. The one who can remake us comes to us to deliver his kingdom. Same thing for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus looked out at his disciples. He was up on a mountain. Remember, a mountain isn't just any old place, especially for Matthew this gospel writer writing to the people of Israel, portraying Jesus as the new Moses. Jesus went up on the mountain to bring revelation, direct revelation to the disciples and to all the multitudes. And he looks out and he sees people who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. People who are desiring and seeking mercy. People who are peacemakers. All of whom are people who would be considered in the human perspective the last of whom who would receive God's blessings or even God's interest. Do you, are we all following now kind of on, on how the Beatitudes are, are thought of in Willard's perspective and I think in a very helpful perspective for us. So what do we do with that? How do we take this list that we're often by reflex wanting to dumb down and make into a new meritocracy or something that's so beyond our attainment that it's not even for this life. It's not even for us now. What do we do with it? Here's what I want to leave you with today and what I want to present to you today is how do you and I exclude ourselves 
from this list? How do you and I see ourselves in such a way where we say, well, I can't receive that kind of blessedness. I can't have the kingdom of heaven. I can't participate in God's rule and reign. I can't be a recipient of his righteousness, much less hear his word, much less be fed at his holy table. In other words, how do we see ourselves in a way that puts us last? Remember, Jesus was speaking to those who were last. He wasn't saying, if you get killed for me, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Because remember what St. Paul said, if I give my body to be burned and have not love. If I have not done it in submission to the one who, in surrender to the one who can remake me, then it matters not. Do you see what this means? This is all about the state of our heart and then what flows forth from it. But how do we see ourselves to make ourselves last and thus perhaps exclude ourselves from this blessing? I want to speak about another author. I'm just giving you a lot of authors today. David Binner, a psychologist, spiritual director, prolific author, editor, etc., has a wonderful little book called The Gift of Being Yourself. And you should read it. You should, you should buy both of these books. I don't get any credits, royalties for this. But he, <clears throat> speaking of being at peace with who we are, he says we must be okay with the fact that we are sinners. And in one sense, we don't want to be okay with our sin, right? We don't want to be okay with the things that are destroying ourselves and those around us. We don't want to be okay with those things that Christ took upon himself on the cross that, that have separated us from God. That's not what Benner is saying. What he's saying is we have to come to grips with the reality that we are sinners, that there's nothing we can do in this life to make ourselves right. We can surrender to the one who can remake us. But outside of that, there's nothing else we can do. Outside of receiving that life from above, outside of stepping into the kingdom of heaven by our sure and ongoing reliance on Jesus, there's nothing we can do. And as I read that and just have, in my own human ways, walked through my own struggles, realized how awful to myself I am sometimes. How much, and I don't think I hate myself like hate, hate myself, but in the general sense of we, a lot of us have to struggle with self-hatred. With the sense that we can be kind and loving to all of you or even somebody that would run into our car. Oh, no, it's okay, because that's the Christian thing to do, isn't it? We force ourselves to smile or to laugh at the unfunny joke. Just kidding. We force our ourselves to take on the behavior that we think is going to be good and right and socially acceptable and fit all the conventions around us. I really don't want to smile right now. But because as a young child, I learned to do that, I know I'm doing that. And that's moving us further away from being who we really are. It's good to be in touch with the fact that, man, that really makes me angry, blanking, blanking angry, and I'm mad about that thing right now. 
That's a step towards being and receiving ourselves as sinners. Because do you know who else receives you as a sinner? Do you know who else who loves you and comes to you to deliver to you the kingdom of heaven? You poor in spirit, you hungry and thirsty for righteousness, you who are laughing, you who are mourning. It's Jesus. And if we cannot agree with Jesus on this one point, then our lives will be a living hell. So repent. Surrender to the one who can remake us. If you take nothing else from tonight, let us all be on the same page together with Jesus who brings the kingdom of heaven to think about now how you think of yourself in that negative way, in that way that you can't accept yourself. Blessed are the blank, the angry, the uptight, the OCD, whatever it is, whatever it is that thing that you see yourself and know that Jesus came to bring the kingdom of heaven to you. And it's only through reliance upon him. It's only through giving ourselves to him that we can be remade and that we can live and breathe in the air of the kingdom of heaven. And as we do that, friends, it's not just behavior modification. It's transformation. And we find ourselves living like the psalmist, that the desire of our hearts start to change, that we begin to desire what he commands and love what he promises. And we begin to see the foolish things of this world shaming the wisdom, or excuse me, the foolish things of this world beginning to shame the wisdom of the world because that's what Christ is saying. This thing that you thought was wise, I'm using as an example that they are really foolish. And the foolish things of the world, I'm coming to bring my righteousness, righteousness, to bring my love, to bring my kingdom to them. His is an invitation with open arms to come and drink deeply of his kingdom. Let nothing inhibit our surrender to him so he can transform us day after day after day. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.